Welcome to Better Business Building, where I'm your host, Adam Menderich, where I talk to business leaders from all shapes of life about what's worked for them and how they can help you win. Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a long time in the making and I'm pumped to talk to you. Um, so welcome. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. We're matching today. Well, yeah. you got a V-neck and I got a cruise shirt, oh, but uh, same color. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to get that 5 a.m. text message. <laughs> so with my show i still stick with the same format of when i was a rapid fire just tell me a little bit more about what you do mate for the audience yeah so uh, i help b2b sales reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers so what does that mean so how do we start conversations through prospecting, so sending cold emails making cold calls using linkedin etc and then once we get someone into uh you know, a situation where they've agreed to hop on a call with us, uh, how do we run a sales process to get that person to either do business with us or also decide that they're maybe not a good fit? And then all of the stuff that happens in between that. Yeah. So for the audience that may not know, that listens to my show, how did you get to what you're doing now? Yeah. So my first sales job was I was 18. And uh, you guys probably, you guys call it university. I was in college here in the United States mm -hmm. and I ran a house painting business. So I went door to door selling house painting services. And uh, it, it's kind of weird because I was, and I still am fairly introverted, but I was very shy mm -hmm. back then. So I honestly, when I took that job, just took it because they said you could make a lot of money over the summer for school. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I would be going door to door. <laughs> So I show up to the training because we got hired in November and we didn't start until the springtime. I show up to the training and I'm like, oh, shit, dude, I'm going to have to go door to door. Mm -hmm. And I was really anxious about it. I was really, really anxious. And I remember sitting in my car for like an hour just like, oh, should I do this? Should I not? And I actually ended up doing really, really well. Yeah. Um, the sales training was really good. And uh, I ended up making $30,000 over the summer for school and I just crushed it. You know, and I, I was like, I love sales. This is awesome. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I did throughout the rest of college was I was a sales manager for them. And that's the part that didn't come so natural to me. Mm -hmm. Teaching salespeople how to sell. I sucked at that. I was really, really bad at it. One of the big things they taught me early on was they said, Jason, all of your strengths are going to be your team's biggest weaknesses because mm -hmm. all of your strengths are stuff that come naturally to you. And you know, the building rapport and, you know, not being afraid to objection handle and, you know, all that other kind of stuff, handling rejection. When that stuff comes naturally to you, you don't think about teaching it to other people. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was the learning curve I had to go through as a sales manager. Yeah. So I spent some time with that company, about six or seven years. I was in a marketing role with them. I was a corporate sales trainer. And the way that I got more into what I'm doing now is I ran an inside sales team for them. So I started a call center. And this is a call center where we had, you know, a couple dozen reps in there, call center manager, people making outbound calls to set appointments for this company. And then I left them in 2013. And since then, I've been consulting and working primarily business to business. And in the last five or six years, specifically, um, you know, with Outbound Squad, my company now, sales training. So how do we train reps on how to do outbound and sales teams on outbound? How do we train these folks on how to do good discovery calls and, you know, that sort of stuff? And I mostly work with software companies and some professional services companies now, but yeah, that's the, that's the long winded answer to your question. No, 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 that's good. So I was going to, 
<laughs> one one little takeaway. So you found a door-to-door company that actually paid you the commissions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. I, I <laughs> so many people have bad experiences with you know, uh-huh. companies like that. It was kind of an interesting deal because you didn't get paid until the summer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you didn't get paid until the house was painted. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do the painting. They taught us to hire painters. Mm-hmm. So I'm working. Yeah, February, March, April, May, June. I'm not getting my first paycheck until June. Yeah. 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 You know, it's kind of <clears throat> kind of crazy when I think mm-hmm. back at it. I mean, I was mm-hmm. fortunate enough to where I had money and stuff and could didn't have to get the paycheck. Yeah. But yeah. It was mm-hmm. it was a it was an interesting experience. I I think like most people got into sales and by accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not something I ever thought that I would ever do as a career. Yeah. Do you think there's a good crossover between what you would have learned for that rush of the door knock into what you're doing and able to teach now? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause a lot of what I spend time doing now is cold calling. Yeah. And w- when I say cold calling, I think it's important to define it. Yeah. The type of cold calling we were doing in that call center, that was traditional. We're doing B2C calling. We have thousands of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in our dialer. It's mm-hmm. auto dialing. Yeah. And it's just whew, numbers game, right? You yeah. got a script, every person you talk to exactly the same. That's very different than what I teach now. Mm-hmm. What I teach now is it's still cold calling because mm-hmm. my definition of a cold call is if I call Adam and you never asked me to call you, even if you're on my email list or follow me on LinkedIn, if you didn't ask me to call you and I call you, that's still a cold call in my yeah. book. Yeah. So this type of cold calling I teach is hey, this company could be a good fit for our product or service. Let's research this individual and figure out what might be important to that company or this person and send a really crafted, carefully crafted email. Or when I cold call, I can say, hey, Adam, um, you know, big fan of the podcast. Listen to the episode with Jason. Here is my takeaway. By the way, I'm reaching out because, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's the type of stuff that I teach now. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how connected it is, the door-to-door stuff, What's really interesting about that is when you go to a person's home and mm. they reject you, you get to see it. It happens right in front of you. Yeah. yeah. When someone rejects you over the phone, they just hang up on you. You don't really get to see that person. You don't understand the context, where mm. they're at, what they were in the middle of. You see that when you go door to door. And I think having that insight of, you know, hey, when I knock on someone's door, they're doing something else. Mm. I know that sounds kind of yeah. obvious, but I yeah. think most people don't think about when you cold call someone, they are doing something else and they did not pick that up because they thought that you were a salesperson and they were so eager to hear your pitch. Mm-hmm. So you're talking to someone that's context switching, right? And I think it's mm-hmm. really important to acknowledge that. And then the mm-hmm. other thing too, the door to door really desensitized me to rejection. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. really with cold calling, I'm like the worst person or the worst thing that can happen is someone hangs up the phone on me. I've had doors slammed in my face. Mm-hmm. And I'm a pretty nice guy, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just happens. Yeah. People yeah. get pissed off mm-hmm. for whatever reason. But yeah, definitely a ton of parallels between the two mm-hmm. for sure. So what? So how did you then start with Outbound Squad? What What did that look like? What was the realization that you realized that there was a use case for that at market? Because you, you've obviously, yeah. my understanding is you were an agency that did sales on behalf of other companies or at least gave them the right messaging right time but then you also saw like a side niche to that which was how do we get back in and do those these sections of training with these reps that aren't getting that now because i've noticed the same thing um and i I heard one of your episodes talking about that but yeah tell me a little bit walk, walk me through that yeah yeah great question 
So yeah, we started, it was originally the company was called Blissful Prospecting. Yep. And the reason why we started that was, you know, when I was a cons when I started consulting in 2013, I went through the challenge that every consultant has is once you've worked through your network and your ex employers, where do you go for business after that? Right. Mm -hmm. So well, I had to prospect and I went through a learning curve of figuring out how to cold email and cold call, et cetera. And I noticed the B2B companies that I would do this with were like, Hey, that was really cool. That cold email you sent me was awesome. Can you just do that for us? Mm -hmm. And I was like light bulb, ding, ding, ding. Maybe I should just do this for people. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like a really good idea in theory, right? They aren't doing it themselves. So I'll just do it for them. <laughs> and the realization that I made is that the types of businesses we were doing that for were small businesses mm -hmm. or like an individual. Now I train companies, they, they might have hundreds or thousands of reps, you know, mm -hmm. it's a very different type of company with a very different type of need. Yeah. And what I have found is that for me, I think what's important is that you do things that you are in one bucket, good and talented at, mm -hmm. uh, in one bucket, people get a lot of value out of, and then another bucket, something that's compensated well. Mm -hmm. And sales training, the way that I do it now, it happens to be one of those things where I happen to be very good at it. There's a lot of need for it and people get better results. My clients that I train and teach how to do this get better results than when I would do it for them. And the reason that I figured out was that, well, they're selling to their prospects every day and I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like mm -hmm. they know the language and they know these people, they just haven't applied this framework to it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Whereas me going in and writing email copy for your, for like, for you to send, let's say, Adam, like, I don't know yeah. your clients, man. I'm not in it every day. Like you are. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So that was that, that was the big shift. And I also, as a 19 year old kid, my first job as a sales manager, I was just obsessed with it. I, I wanted to be a sales trainer mm -hmm. after that. I wanted to write a book, you mm -hmm. know, books on mm -hmm. sales, that sort of stuff. I, I love training and coaching. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So but then you also saw there was a a requirement for some of the like whip around trainings that aren't on the sales floors anymore. Did you is that is that something you also now offer as part of that suite and framework? Oh wait, I'm not sure what you mean by that actually. So um so for example, when you and I would have come up on the on the sales room floor, um the sales manager mm -hmm. would have had like a whip around every day, like what's the biggest objection or the craziest thing that happened to you in oh. these calls yesterday? Let's walk it through. And then that ask yeah. around, like, what, what, how would you have handled this? What could we have done better, et cetera? What I've noticed is a lot of companies have canned that, like it's not even a thing. And if you talk to new reps now, they would have never been exposed to that, except maybe from what I took from some of your podcasts is that you you can also now try to reinstate some of those trainings in the frameworks that you offer. Is that correct? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, this, this kind of gets into the experience that a rep has at, mm -hmm. at a company. And yeah. if we kind of unpack that, the typical, you know, sales enablement experience, if you could, you know, mm -hmm. kind of frame it that way, the, the way that reps experience working with a company, there's kind of four parts. There's the, what do I learn? Mm -hmm. How do I practice? How mm -hmm. do I execute? And then how do I get feedback? The way typically people learn is in shotgun style trainings that are done once a quarter, maybe where it's like, mm -hmm. Hey, here's our new product that we're doing, uh, selling now, go get after and sell it. The way that they practice is usually in a live situation where mm -hmm. the risk is really high on a prospect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if they're not at the call center, oftentimes they're executing alone. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the folks I train are remote, so they're executing alone in their home or apartment or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. And then in terms of feedback, they get very little in the way of feedback and coaching. Mm-hmm. So my philosophy is that we really need to flip that on its head. And instead of doing these really long winded trainings, like micro training, yeah. we need to do little bite sized chunks of training. And it needs to be like every day, every week. Mm-hmm. Practice. We need to facilitate practice. And call centers, it was that's what we spent the first 15 minutes of the day doing was role playing. Yeah. Just warming up. You know what I mean? Um, in terms of executing, if you got a fully remote team, get people on Zoom calls or use a tool like Nooks and get people yeah. doing the activity together in a virtual setting. And in mm-hmm. feedback, again, I don't know what you're doing as a manager if you're not coaching every day. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of your job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but there needs to be daily feedback. There needs to be systems in place where reps understand what good looks like and mm-hmm. they. I'm a really big believer that in order to get coaching, you should coach yourself first. Mm-hmm. So reps should know what good looks like. They should know how to score their own mm-hmm. call, their own yeah. email, and they should go through the framework and the effort of scoring themselves and bringing it to a manager. Yeah. Yeah. It's no different than watching game tape as a player in any kind of sport. I'm going to critique myself and then I can get critique from a trainer or a coach or whoever, but I'm going to watch it for myself and critique it first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing that I'll dig into there, just because I've got a a huge amount of interest with this, is how do you tackle, so say, for example, that we've got the SDR or the AEs or the account managers that live and breathe everything that you're saying and and are very coachable because they want to learn Jason's way, right? But what do you say to the people that they report to that don't understand what you're saying because the way to be omnipresent has completely changed? How do you tackle that? Yeah. So basically you're talking about a situation where a rep is being asked to do one thing from leadership that is not in, in line with what will actually get the best results. Correct. Yeah. There's a couple ways that you can approach that. Uh, one way that I'm a really big fan of is just creating an internal case study. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Hey, Mr. Or Mrs. Leader, I'm going to do it your way. Do you mind if I spend 20% of my time doing it this other way that I think will really work? I'll measure the results between the two and I'm happy to do whichever one works better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. think about how you would sell mm-hmm. services and products to a company in a sales mm-hmm. situation. Same thing. Like I need to create a compelling case. Here's what I think could happen and what the results are. And if it's this, I'd like to go with this way. You know, that's the most straightforward way that you could do it. The reality of the situation though, is a lot of times you might have to work for another company. Mm-hmm. Your job might not be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are companies I know that are so buttoned up that they they want to micromanage what you say over the phone to someone. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. yeah. Sequences, <clears throat> emails, all this kind of stuff. They button them up so tight where you just become a button pusher and a robot on the phone that's just repeating stuff. Don't work for that company. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's <laughs> what I was that, yeah. That was the challenge <laughs> that I was leading you to, because that was exactly my experience too. Those layers of management levels won't even understand or not willing to appreciate that they don't know what they don't know. So yep. there's nothing outside of that shouldn't work from 1997 that shouldn't work now, according to them. So we might've been yep. using windows 98, but um, yeah, you know what I mean? But um, so you, there's a whole <laughs> lot of learning there. Um, <laughs> what do you think the biggest part, What what's the biggest things you've learned on your journey so far, Jason? Ooh, uh, I would say some of the big things that stand out to me through my career and a a lot of it I've learned through also through therapy. 
And I think one of the big things that I didn't realize about myself is that I could have empathy for someone, but I didn't know how to intentionally empathize with someone and, mm -hmm. and sit in the seat of that person and think about what's it like to be Adam, you know what I mean, in this situation. So I was really good in sales because I was taught really good tactics and strategies and I just followed them to a T, but I never thought how it was making the other person feel. And I would get this feedback all the time in my career, especially as I was beginning to do outbound, you need more empathy in your approach. This, e this email needs more empathy. And I, I just never like honestly understood what that meant until maybe three or four years ago. You know, yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned is tactics and strategies are great, but I, I think it's really important to understand why, you mm -hmm. know, and if, if you think of a framework, you know, why, what, how, mm -hmm. You can be really good at the how and the what, but if you don't understand the why, you're not able to adapt and make things your own. I'm not able to take the principles, the first principles behind a, an approach. Mm -hmm. uh, so for example, I teach a permission-based opener in a cold call. Yeah. Hey, Adam, Jason with Outbound Squad, I know I probably caught you in the middle of something, but you got a moment for me to tell you why I'm calling. You can let me know if you want to keep chatting. Now, I could be really good at that how, that's a how, the what is the permission-based opener, but if I don't understand the reason why that works, yeah. it's by giving the prospect a choice and allowing them to opt in, they're much more likely to participate because they feel like they have a choice. Yeah. If I don't understand that psychology, I can't apply that in other areas of my career in the sales process. Mm -hmm. I just never did that. I was just really good at following the rules. I was a rule follower, mm -hmm. you know? I think it's one of the biggest things is always chunk up and think about what the first principles are and think about the why mm -hmm. behind everything that you're doing. Um, I think the other thing, the other thing that I've embraced too is I used to look at what I do now and I used to wish that I got into B2B sales from the beginning and just sold software. Mm -hmm. And I think about what would my life be like right now if I had, instead of 15 years of career experience doing sales and marketing and a bunch of stuff, what if it was 15 years of experience selling software? Mm -hmm. I look at that now and I'm like, no, like, I learned so much from the B2C stuff. I learned so much from starting call centers and sitting in a marketing role. It's stuff I use in my business today mm -hmm. to market my business now. And I think embracing your story versus lamenting on it, yeah. it's like, how, how can you use this to your advantage? Like my background is, is very unique compared to most of the people that I sell against. How can I leverage that and use it to my advantage? Yeah. I've really tried to really embrace that. Um, and I think the other thing too, that's been kind of interesting is that I got away from training and coaching for a long time, mm -hmm. you know, for, there was a five or six year period where I didn't train or coach or do any of that kind of stuff. When you do a done for you service, you're doing it for people, mm -hmm. you know? And I think in the last three years, getting back into training and coaching, it's like my career has come full circle in that regard, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think looking back at your career at earlier points and the stuff that really energized you that you were really good at is, is, is an interesting exercise to do. Yeah. Awesome. So digging into that a little bit further, Jason, um, so who do you think, who, who's your primary targets and who can you help the most? Because there's a whole lot of learnings there. And, and I will say one thing that if you hadn't had the background that you do have, you wouldn't have the same understanding of the end-to-end -end service delivery that you have now. Because if you'd come mm -hmm. from the um, conveyor belt motion through SaaS, you wouldn't have the site yep. for the end-to-end. -end. Um, that's one of the biggest yeah. things that I see. So I think you, you're, you're writing your thought that um, 
what you've learned now has shaped what you can now provide, which is different from the people trying to do that. So that's a really good thing. But um, yeah, who do you think you can help the most? Yeah, the folks that I help the most are individual reps, typically selling software as some sort of professional service, but uh, an individual sales rep that really wants to do more than just hit quota, that wants to take charge of their pipeline. Mm -hmm. So this is someone that believes in doing outbound and not just relying on stuff to come to them. Yeah. Right. Or it's a sales leader or a sales team or a company that really wants their reps speaking the same language, really wants their reps to have this mindset around self-sourcing and wants them to have all the latest and greatest tactics and strategies on, on, on how to do all of that kind of stuff. Those are really the people that I can help the most. Awesome. So what do you say, like just digging into that a little bit more, so there's obviously arguments going around the internet right now with people working in this space, having massive personal brands and should also the reps have that. What are your thoughts on that? Because what I see is being super connected can only help you be to leverage that to get to more yeah. opportunities. But there's also the the adverse um, understanding or awareness that that's not the right thing to do because if something goes wrong, but to me that, kind of sells the fact that you'd want your company to be nameless and faceless if you didn't want them to have a personal brand and be hyper-connected in the market. What do you think? Yeah, I think any company that doesn't want their reps to have a personal brand is like, they're just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're just an idiot. Okay. Because I look at all the really great examples of this, like look at Zoom Info does a great job of this. Gong yeah. does a great job of this. I mean, you look at all these companies where they have these people, I mean, Henry Shuck, CEO of ZoomInfo, I interviewed him on my podcast. This guy, like, believes in personal brand. You know what I mean? And that trickles all the way down through the sales team, mm -hmm. right? So I think there's a couple layers to your question, though. Yeah. Because I think a question that I often get is, who should I be creating my personal brand for? And with salespeople, it's often, do I create content for other salespeople like me? Or do I create content for my audience? Mm -hmm. So the people that I'm selling to. And the answer depends. It kind of depends on what your goals are. If, if you are in sales and you ever want to do something like me, become a sales trainer coach, you should create some content that appeals to your peers. Yeah. Yeah. But what I would also invest in is content that like benefits your audience, the people yeah. that you sell to. And you could do both. Yeah. And it could be a couple posts a week for your peers and a couple posts a week for your customers. You can do both. Mm. But Absolutely. Personal brand is a huge advantage. People get hired all of the time because of their personal brand. Yeah. Gives you a huge leg up over candidates. What you start to get, I, I forget what this, what this is called, but you start to get people that feel like they know you that have not yeah. met you. Yeah. 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 You get that. Yeah. Play, right? You got a podcast, you got a brand. I get it. It's, it's a, uh, anyone that has that there's likability built into that, that you didn't have to spend any effort on. That's yeah. what I love about the personal brand is it's scalable. It's it's one to many mm -hmm. and it will help you in those one to one situations. Yeah. So you absolutely have to, but you know, not everyone will do it. Mm. Probably 95 plus percent of people don't care about having a personal brand. And that's why those 5% of people swoop up all the great opportunities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, you put that to bed. No, no I'm kidding. <laughs> no. But I'm um, not, it's just, it's interesting to see those perspectives, but I think that it's, um, yeah, as you said, like the 95% of people won't do it, but also can't. And I think that some of the things that I've talked about in the past was 
that's speaking to what the skill set needs to be now, not what it was in 1997. So um, if that's yeah. not part of you being omnipresent to be something to one to many, um, you're, you're kind of limiting your chances of um, yeah having that instant lockability and instant recognition. Yeah. So a hundred percent, but I've jumped on, um, on discovery calls with companies that have just said, like, we only did this because we saw your strategy review post and we already feel like we know you. And I'm like, okay, but like how many videos have you watched? You've never liked any of my content. And they're like, we've watched every one of your videos. So yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. Validating what you've just said. But, um, so with a lot of the outbound squad stuff that you do, do you have any, some big tips for the listeners Jason, like what what are the things you're working on now that are better and different, or is there something you're seeing that this is what they should be doing? Like, what are the, some of the adoptions, or is there anything new that you're working on where you you want to give away some secrets here? Yeah, are you talking about from a business standpoint or from, from, from like a, what I help my customers with? Yeah, what you help the customers with. So, like, um, okay. if, if there's reps listing right now, like SDRs of the world, yeah, yeah. and they're like, yeah. hey, Jason's going to give us something right now, what would it be? Ooh, there's so much. Uh, so there's a couple of things that there's three kind of shifts that uh, you want to think about making, and I can share some stuff that you can do in each yeah. of those. the The framework is really simple for outbound. It's identify, engage, and then create. Mm-hmm. So identify is this whole game of outbound gets a lot easier when I'm laser focused on my ideal client profile and my persona, yeah. and I know these folks inside and out. So if we start with that first pillar. One of the shifts that you need to make is from mass blast. So I take one message and send it out to my entire target market. And you need to do what I call quality first. Mm. Quality first is I take pockets and segments and niches within my target market. And I look for pockets of people that I can talk to in a very similar way. So the first thing that I would do is think about how you can... Like to give you an example, I have a, a client that sells a customer experience solution. They sell into a lot of verticals, but their their sales team is verticalized, right? So I have one team that just goes after telco companies, one team that goes after retail companies. And then we break it down even further than that. Yeah. Who are the personas at these companies? Yeah. Well, in these telco companies, we have people that run contact centers. We have people that are in charge of digital experience. And then maybe it's an HR person on the employee yeah. experience side. So I'm, I'm even getting even further, who are the companies in the industry vertical? So I can take that target market that's like this and go like that. And then how can I talk to all the individuals in that market in the same way? Yeah. That right there, if you just really segment your messaging, that's going to give you a really big head start. So you don't have to customize so much what you send. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I'll share with you too, in terms of, because I think one of the worst things that you can do is not think about efficiency when you're a salesperson. Mm -hmm. So if I have a hundred accounts, let's say that I'm given, don't work that account list from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. I want to cherry pick and look at the five, 10, 15 accounts that are the most likely to respond and be in the need of what I have right now. A really simple way to do that. There's a couple of things you can do is you can lose, use LinkedIn sales navigator and I can look for accounts and people in here that used to be past employees of our current clients. Mm-hmm. So I can reach out to, in this example, customer support people that used to work at an existing client of ours. Mm-hmm. Guess what? That's gonna, they're gonna be a lot more receptive to talking to you than someone that's completely cold. Yeah. yeah. Right? I can look for people that have certain triggers that are hiring right now, whatever those triggers are, I'm gonna prioritize based on that. 
So that's kind of how I think about that identify bucket. Yep. The engage bucket in terms of messaging and the kind of what to say, what you really need is a couple things. The shift you need to make in how you talk is from me-centric to you-centric. Mm-hmm. So me-centric is, uh, hi, Adam, this is Jason with Outbound Squad. We do sales training for reps and sales teams, and we work with awesome companies like Gong and Medallion. I was giving you a call to see if we could talk about training your sales team. That's all about me. And you know what? That's going to be met with a lot of rejection if you do it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's me-centric. I'm talking to you all about what I want. Now, instead, if I talk to you about what you care about and I start the conversation there, I want to think about how does my solution fit into what the prospect cares about? A lot of people think about it the opposite way. They think about how to make their solution fit in this person's world. No, no, no. It's how do I take their world and what is important to them and talk about how I can just help them get more of what they already care about. I'm not in the business of making something a priority for a prospect if it isn't. I just want to align to their existing priorities. Yep. So one of the most powerful things that you can do, especially in a cold call, is just start with what the prospect cares about. So I might do a permission-based opener. Hey, do you got a minute for me to tell you why I'm calling? Can you let me know if we can keep chatting? Prospect says yes. And then I'm going to talk through my customer voice. So I'm going to do a reverse value prop. I'm going to talk about what I do through the lens of a customer. Mm-hmm. So if I was doing it for Outbound Squad, I might say, Adam, um, we actually work with uh, a few of the VPs of sales at companies like Gong and Medallia, and we keep hearing a a theme around one of two priorities. One is AEs prospecting, so they want them to self-source more of their pipeline and not rely on SDRs and inbound so much. And the second thing that we're hearing a really big theme around right now is that with the kind of macroeconomic trends, they're getting a lot of timing and budget-related objections, and they need to adjust their talk tracks mm-hmm. so that they aren't lengthening the sales cycles. Are either of those two things something that you're running across right now? Right. So it's super specific, and I'm talking to this person about what they care about based on what yeah. a lot of other people like them care about. Yeah. That's why that first part, the identify part, the finding the niches, if I do that correctly, I know that 80, 90% of the people I talk to are going to be working on the same stuff because it's a similar job title in a similar industry at a similar size company. So think about how can I talk about my thing through the lens of a prospect, through what they care about. And then lastly, the third part of that framework is create. So that's how do I take conversations and then convert those into qualified opportunities that I can then kind of sell to. I think the thing here you need to think about prospecting what I always say prospect to start a conversation, not to make a sale. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Prospecting is about starting conversations. You're selling the conversation. Mm-hmm. So you need to go from always be closing like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross mm-hmm. to teach. Don't take. Mm-hmm. So teach don't take is the reason that I want you to hop on a meeting with me, Adam, is that I'm working with other companies like Gong and Medallia and zoom. And I thought you might benefit from seeing some of the ways that we're helping them handle uh, AEs and getting them to prospect more, yeah. right? Like that, that is the thing that I want. That's the call to action, not to talk about my training. We'll get to that if there's a fit. Yeah. yeah. I need to make sure that, you know, Anthony Ianarino, uh, he's a, one of my mentors. He, he talks about this, you know, trading, you know, value for time. Yeah. So think about it. If an executive is going to spend 15, 30 minutes with you, what are they going to get that makes that worth their time? Yeah. Insights. That's what people want to learn. When I interviewed Henry Shucks, CEO of Zoom Info on my podcast, 
He said the number one thing that he wants when he hops on a sales call, like people selling to him when he's a prospect, he's, I want to learn. Yeah. I want to know what best in class looks like. Mm-hmm. So what companies are using your product in a best in class way? Because I want to do what they're doing so we can have a shorter learning curve. So those are some of the kind of things that you could think about and, and uh, implement. I'm happy to dig into any anything that you want. We can get as detailed as you like. Um, no, no, I absolutely love that. And I love the way that you frame the the PBO, the permission-based opener, with those circumstances. Um, are there any other tips that you would like to give for people that aren't? So m- maybe how do you tackle the organization? So coming back to what you said, um, that are still pushing for meetings as the markers, right? So how do you get them out of unshackling what that looks like by selling the solution, by having the conversation? So is that still, is that, is there a lot of resistance between selling the outcome of what you could do for them because of X, Y, Z versus no, just force them into the, into the meeting and make it the AE's fault or problem? Yeah. In my experience, you aren't going to get as many people that want to take a meeting with you if you just make it about getting a demo for your solution. Yeah, yeah. Statistically, that's going to be a very low amount of people, actually. It's going to be one, maybe two, three percent statistically. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, in marketing, we call it creating demand, right? There's a percentage, it could be 20, 30, 40 percent of your market that, if influenced properly, would consider and may buy your product or service. Yeah. Yeah. But they aren't thinking about it. So they're not going to take a meeting when you say, uh, Hey, I'd like to talk about our sales training unless they're actively looking into sales training. Yeah. Right. So you got to think about that. How am I talking to people? Like that's the difference between sales and marketing, right? Sales is one-to-one marketing is typically one-to-many. Yep. So with sales, how do I have a one-to-one conversation where I can talk about things and really influence just like good marketing would do, mm-hmm. right? That creates demand. Yeah. How can I create demand in yeah. a one-to-one conversation? And it's by selling outcomes and talking about insights and sharing things with people. The, the true sign of a world-class sales professional is someone that can sell to a company that didn't already have a budget for it. Yeah. 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 They create budget. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the sign of a world-class sales professional. To me, selling the stuff where pe- there's already a need for it, that's those are the gimmies. You should yeah. be able to sell those. Mm. Yeah. The, the the reason that I asked that question is a lot of the stuff that I still see in APAC is from like 1985. So they'll push people straight to a yeah. meeting or they'll do everything the opposite of what you've just said for every, this entire podcast. will just be blanket messaging. Hey, Jason, do you want to buy now? And that's yeah. it. Like and and what what the troubling factor that's generally not factored over here is we can web scrape the total addressable market and mathematically work out if we did that you're going to run out of people pretty fast so you can't just churn yep. and burn the whole market when the mar- our market is considerably smaller than what it is for you guys so you couldn't mm-hmm. you can't do that and um but it's still being pushed by I would say probably 60 70 percent of organizations. You, it, that that's why I introduced that question because it's still unfortunately, um, yeah, front of mind of how that they still believe that that's the way to go, and wonder why yeah. wonder why they've got such a high churn on all of the sales and marketing teams because they're being forced to do basically lead capture and churn and burn. So yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah, yeah, 
it's tough. If you work at a company like that, unless you're in a leadership position, you're not going to really be able to change it. So I would, I would find another company to work for yeah. if you, if you have yeah. the ability to do that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry. So sorry, sorry for the bit of a sidetrack there, but um, yeah. Is there, is there any other tips that you'd like to give the listeners on what you're working on now? Um, I think those are the big ones. Or are you seeing any yeah. new trends? Are you seeing any new trends? Like, is there um, um, any uptick on, I don't know, different types of video messaging or is that now not working or is there anything like that that you're seeing? Yeah, I've actually seen video prospecting get much harder. Yeah. yeah. I'm a huge yep. fan of it, but uh, it's growing increasingly difficult because spam filters and emails are becoming more so much more sophisticated so mm -hmm. having multimedia in an email is a good way to just get it thrown right into yeah. spam or yep. delivered so i think a like a fundamental principle that i would think about i call it follow the engagement mm -hmm. so what i would think about is if i'm gonna let's say sequence a hundred people what i'm gonna do is spend the most amount of effort on the people that are engaging with what i send them so if I send a hundred emails and let's say I have a 50% open rate, let's, let's actually use 30%, something more average. Mm -hmm. Those 30 people are where I'm going to invest most of my time and energy. Yeah. So I'm not going to send a video to someone unless they open the first email that I send yeah. them. Yeah. Right. I'm going to call those people primarily that are opening and engaging with my stuff. So follow the engagement. Think about how can I spend more effort on people that are showing a willingness to engage with me? That's what I want to do. Awesome. Well, I've absolutely loved having you on the show. If the listeners have loved it just as much as what I have, where's the best place to contact you, Jason? Uh, best place is outboundsquad.com. So mm -hmm. we do a couple things there. There's tons of free resources. So we have a podcast as well. It's called Blissful Prospecting Podcast. We haven't changed the name of that yet. <laughs> so if you're <laughs> listening to this on the podcast, go check that out. Uh, on the website, we also have free guides. There's, you know, on LinkedIn, I post daily content, that sort of stuff. And if you're a sales rep, we have our Outbound Squad program, which is like coaching and coursework and community and all that kind of stuff. And then we also have uh, programs for companies as well. So if you are looking for help with your sales team to get them to implement some of the stuff we talked about today, outboundsquad.com is the best place to do that. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on my segment for Better Business Building. Um, it's been great. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for listening. If you, like me, have received great value from my guest, please like, share and follow. See you next time.